Hey everyone, uh, all of us have always wondered what would vegan food taste like. Many people think that uh, because something is vegan, it may not be tasty. Today I have somebody who will prove all of you doubters wrong. Today I'm going to be talking to the founder chef of Otugaya, Naimita Jagasia. Hey Naimita, thank you so much for taking out time and coming to Breaking the Seal. Hi Ashwin, thank you so much for having me here. So. Even before when we were chatting, you told me about your experience, about what people think about vegan food. Let's start with vegan food and then we'll get to uh, uh, O2 Gaya. Uh, what experience have you had in India about people's opinion on vegan food? So I, once I became vegan and I moved back to <laughs> I moved back to India, my parents were like, okay, now what do we cook? What do we buy? And I'm like, your normal food, like your roti, sabzi, dal, rice, you know, uh, like any of your basic hummus, Thai curry, all of that is vegan. But the moment you attach the word vegan to it, it's like, oh, I, I don't want to eat that. So um, I had a lot of, um, I noticed a lot of negativity around it. Uh, a lot of Indians love their dairy. So the moment you say vegan, they feel like, okay, I have to compromise. It's not going to taste good. It's ghas food, rabbit food. You know, but they go, they go to Bombay Salad Co. They'll go eat a salad. But suddenly when you say you're vegan, it's like, oh, ghas fuz But you just ate a salad. <laughs> you know, so the word vegan is so like villainized. It's so hated that uh, you automatically assume something tastes bad. Um, that was my experience when I first moved here. It's of course changed over the years. I, I hope I'm uh, somehow responsible for some of that change. But it's evolved. People have learned now, you know, the most important thing is education about vegan, which was lacking, you know, five, six years ago. Um, so, yeah. So, I think most people don't fully understand what vegan is, yeah. right? Why don't we start by explaining what is vegan food in, let's say, two lines? So, vegan food uh, or plant-based food is um, food that comes from the earth, comes from nature and it has no animal products or it's not animal derived. So, that includes, you know, your meat, dairy and eggs and then other byproducts like honey, like gelatin, um, beeswax, uh, carmine and all of those food colorings which come from crushed up beetles or bugs or whatever. So all of those things don't fall under the vegan category. And it's as simple as that. It's just no animal products, including them. Look, I think many people think it's a lot more than that. And which is why taste will be compromised because yeah. so many foods naturally don't have any of this. Exactly. But people feel it will be less tasty just because the word vegan is there or just because the restaurant is vegan or just because the brand is vegan. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, you know, you're a forerunner and educating people around this as well. Now let's get to O2. Gaya, what, before we get to actually to Gaya, what did you do before that? So, um, I honestly, after I finished uh, high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to do like a bunch of things. I always knew I was a very creative and empathetic person. So, I wanted to do something that was creative, that, that could, you know, impact other people in some form or shape. And I could create art, maybe uh, have my opinions, you know, come through with maybe art or sculpture or something, you know, um, maybe writing, things like that. So I applied to a bunch of uh, universities across the world, Canada, the UK, the US. I just didn't want to do my SAT, so I, I decided not to <laughs> apply to the US. Um, and then I decided to go to the UK. 
um, and I studied uh, design but uh, it was a multifaceted uh, course you know there was um, modeling which was, was so awkward there was photography there was writing journalism there was design like clothing shoes bags accessories um, all of that illustration so I found my passion in footwear design and accessory design where I got to express my views through like vegan, sustainable shoes, ethical shoes, handmade, all of that. And um, I also got to play with colors, shapes, and it was like working with your hands. I would literally make the shoe from scratch or make a card holder or a wallet from scratch, from scrap materials, from, you know, recycled materials. I've used leather made out of cactus and pineapple. So I was able to do all of it, you know, live my beliefs through through fashion um, and doing something with my hands. And then around that time I became vegan. I was dairy free for a year and then I became vegan. And then I moved back to India because I knew um, there's already a saturated market of sustainable fashion in, the, in Europe and the UK. So I chose to come here and start something in footwear. Um, but I realized quite quickly that Indians don't care about sustainability in shoes because they don't view shoes as an investment product or, or a, you know, something to really truly invest in which has value. Uh, it Bags, right now people are, uh, you know, spending on that. But shoes, I think we've just started spending on your luxury brands. So then to have that price and also not have a luxury name behind it like a Gucci or something, People were not obviously ready to pay uh, that price for something. So I decided not to do that. So how did you figure out that you wanted to take this path and start Otogai? So um, I kind of stumbled into this career. It was never planned. I've never been to pastry school. I've never uh, studied all of this. Uh, maybe like short courses, two, three day courses here and there after I started. Um, but I was making my own cheese, my own milk, butter. I was making vegan eggs. Um, I was making a lot of substitutes when I first moved here in 2017 and there weren't too many options. But then I slowly started discovering people who make uh, milk like near near my house. So they would deliver almond milk like a doodwala. Fresh in the morning at 6 a.m. you'll get like freshly milked almond milk. And you'd get cheese, there was uh, butter brands popping up. Um, so I felt like, okay, I don't need to make all of these alternatives now. But dessert was something that I, I have a huge sweet tooth. You know, I literally used to eat dessert for dinner. And I would make uh, like these froyo type of things where I would blend protein powder with silken tofu and frozen fruits. And it comes out like a gelato texture. And it has like 35 grams of protein and like no carbs. That's a... Isn't that a product? Are you selling those? <laughs> I would love I to have those. I would love to try those. I can make it for you. I'll sell it to to people like you who, 100%. you know, like gym freaks and whatnot. So that's when I started making stuff like that and thinking outside the box and using ingredients um, not the way they are intended to be used. You know, like imagine making an ice cream out of silken tofu and you can't taste the tofu. It takes on the flavor of whatever you add. So I started Thinking outside the box, I was making cheesecakes, I was making, you know, brownies, frosting, mousses, um, with your unconventional ingredients. And um, then someone was like, can you make, you know, something for me? Can you make something for my birthday? Can you make my wedding cake? And I was like, I have a small kitchen at home where I'm just experimenting, but okay, I'll give it a go. And then my mom just uh, signed me up for some... Um, 
event at Otters Club. She just paid 10k and said, earn me back the 10k and more. Uh, food cost and whatnot, which I had no idea what that was. I never learned any of this, so I didn't know how to calculate food cost. I didn't know how to, you know, figure out any, figure out any of this. So I think the event was. I needed a brand name. I needed a company. I needed a logo. So then, because of the event, I started making all of this and thinking of all of this, and then it just, I just went with the flow. So I think deadline is one of the best uh, inventions oh because God, it yes. pushes you to do things which otherwise would take forever. Exactly. And uh, there is a law that actually says that you will fill in the time available for a task. So if I have to clean up this room and you give me a day, I actually consume the entire day by yeah. half an hour. You'll do it faster. Yeah. I think having the deadline really pushed you. Yeah, 100% yes. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have made it a legit business, you know. It was just some time pass I was doing from home. But I guess my mom saw um, me being happy and finding a purpose because when I came back to India and decided not to do footwear, I felt kind of aimless and lost and... I didn't know if, you know, something in veganism was a good career in India or not because people here didn't care about it. So you were literally swimming against the tide, you know. So how did you come up with the name? It's a beautiful name, but how did you come up with the name? So I was just thinking about, you know, um, what, what my reason for all of this is, why am I doing it? And I'm doing it for the earth, right? I didn't want to start a business for the heck of it because then there's no passion, there's no... Um, purpose, yeah, that's the word. So I wanted it to mean something uh, to me and to, I guess, the animals, right? I'm doing it for the earth, I'm doing it for Gaia. So it was my promise to the earth that whatever I do, I'll do it, keeping in mind that, you know, you need humans to care. So it was my ode to Gaia, the, the whole purpose of my brand or any business that I would do, even the footwear one. So I'd probably name that something similar anyway. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's how the name just, it just came to me like in my sleep. You know, I was thinking, okay, why am I doing this? Or Some of the best ideas actually do come. Yes, showering, gym and sleep. Because I think that's where all the other distraction goes off, all the other noise goes off and you can actually focus on the signal. So next to my bed, there's actually a small writing pad and a... Same. <laughs> because there is to be times, I'll get up at 2-3, I will walk across the room, get my phone and, and send something. a message to my team, send a write something down. I do down. the same. And then I can't sleep for the next one hour because... Two, the idea is like two, floating minutes, in your... One is idea and 2-3 minutes I'm staring at a bright screen, can't go back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So now I have a tiny little light, I'll switch that on, make a note of the thing that I'm putting, put it away, go to sleep. Next day morning, look at it, nice. flesh it out more. Because many times it doesn't, especially when you're sleeping. Right? You won't remember it in the morning. Yeah, it. I do the same. I have two phones, work phone and like personal phone. So I just text my, one of the phones. Yeah, text myself. So I have like full conversations with myself. So if somebody sees it, they may think you're schizophrenic. <laughs> but at the risk yeah. of sounding schizophrenic, at least you're capturing good ideas, right? So, yeah. so when you were uh, starting out, you would have obviously faced a lot of... Uh, Criticism? I don't know. Did you face any criticism? How, how did you deal with that? What kind of criticism was it? How did you deal with that? So a lot of it was, um, so I've done a couple of pop-ups, like Ponya's pop-up, Style Cracker, things like that, where people would see the these beautiful desserts and say, oh, where have you done your uh, catering? And I'm like, I haven't been to catering college or, you know, pastry school or whatever. And then they would just scoff at me like, okay, so you're not a real chef, then you're a home baker. And I'm like, no, I have like a team of 10 people. I have a central kitchen. And they're like, yeah, but you've not studied it, right? So it's like 
do I like I think I've proved to you that I don't need to study this <laughs> and I'm also challenging all the conventional norms of pastry so I've not learned the basics and I've gone a step beyond that so you know give me credit <laughs> so um there was a lot of ridicule there there was a lot of personal self doubt where I felt like okay I don't belong to this industry I've not studied pastry I'm not a real chef like when people like my my colleagues my chefs they call me chef somewhere it's i still feel like you know imposter syndrome you, I, i was about you took the words out of my mouth i'm like it's an you know you you get that imposter syndrome feeling. yeah 100%. yeah i feel that i mean i i'm trying of course so hard now not to feel that because i i have to keep reminding myself to look back at everything i've achieved and then say okay there's no imposter syndrome here it's just in your head i mean technically it is in your head <laughs> it is in your head but um, that's one of the main things that ridicule or the you know the scoffing at um vegan pastry number 1 number 2 you can't have a successful profitable vegan business uh, again that's also not true and um, the whole idea that you haven't gone to pastry school so you're not really a chef and people still tell me that oh so you're not really a chef and i'm like i mean either are you <laughs> so you know i would say that to them but i but i'm more of a chef than you i think passion uh, you know people who are led by passion are able to do so much more Because, because they're they not confined. In, they're not. They're not confined by uh, educational boundaries. Hundred percent. The some of the best entrepreneurs I know today have no formal education in yeah. uh, management or leadership or how do you run a specific business. Like I, I run a laboratory. Uh, I am not a chemist. I am not a microbiologist. We hire the best chemists, the yeah. best microbiologists in the country. Today we have a thousand plus people. we run one of the biggest labs in the country but i'm not a chemist or a microbiologist or a instrumentation engineer i'm none of that i'm a computer science guy with mba in marketing why am i running a lab because my passion is to improve water food and air quality in india how do i do that i do it first by measuring water food and air quality is it good can it be improved so that is something that i do uh, i also work with a lot of government agencies where i No no it's very much a part of Equinox. Okay. So as a CEO of Equinox I also am a national advisor to the body called FSCI. So a lot of the new regulations coming in I am the one who's made them a little easier for you to follow. Really they're so much harder now. Uh, <laughs> they were harder in the draft stage now once you see the draft versus what comes on ground then you know what role I play. So many people who see this and they're like did you write this law I'm like no no I didn't. <laughs> like they all come, they'll come with pitchforks behind me. Right uh, so the point is once you're passionate about something Yeah. then you will do things a lot more uh, you you'll work a lot harder you will think a lot more about it you'll be able to go deeper and you're not bound by things that have been taught to 10000 other people who've done the exact same course you can look at things from a different perspective so when i'm so, hiring i feel that because every time i hire from these pastry schools they have the same thinking they have the same look the same garnish the same recipes and they like oh we've not studied vegan so we don't understand and i'm like you just have to replace the milk with soy milk that's, that's it. it you don't <laughs> have it, to it. think vegan what does this mean and start calculating in your brain no just replace the milk with coconut milk or soy milk it's it's that simple but the education that they've been provided which is great education in pastry but it's confine them to just thinking that pastry can be done with eggs dairy and gelatin and they can't think beyond that so even when i was looking for a head chef i wanted to focus more on the brand building and marketing and i wanted the chef duties to now be someone else's responsibility and he was um, i interviewed this guy he was fantastic he's worked with vegan little bit he's worked with eggless and he was like you know i don't know how to do the stuff you're doing and you'll have to teach me everything 
and in that moment i felt like this guy has 10 15 years of experience and i have to teach him that made me feel like okay no more imposter syndrome and even someone who has 10 to 15 years of experience couldn't think outside the box that's because you know? they don't know they're in the box exactly that's the point right like yeah. when you follow traditional education system you don't know that there's another way of thinking so you don't know that there's a box you just think oh, this is my little world right it's when you don't come with any boundaries any restrictions yeah. now you're free to explore you. there's nothing stopping you yeah. to have nothing to lose so what i've seen is people who have the least to lose land up taking much bigger risks because again what is there to lose there's nothing to lose right so uh, one of my mentors he taught me a new concept it was called the luxury of poverty he's like and he told me he's like you don't have the luxury of poverty right you've not starved you've not you know uh, uh, like been under a street lamp studying and you know you've not had that and i said i, I hope i don't provide that to my children i mean i want to provide a safer life i want to provide a more nurturing life but the point is he's like hungry stomachs empty pockets will teach you way more than an mba in your on your wall right so many a times we like even within the organization within equinox we keep innovating quite a bit we have enough funds to say oh you can spend x amount of money right? more than what they need what i do is if you are budgeting x i actually make it 60% of the x and i say this is the budget you have now go experiment because when you have more restrictions you will actually get creative yes. right and that creativity comes when you have restrictions not when you have either if you have complete freedom oh, or you have yeah, some yeah. some yeah. some restriction which is making you forced to you know think outside the box so sometimes you have to put those guardrails to make sure that people are you know able to deliver more uh, how do you innovate in your business so really good question so um i in the beginning when i started i would look at other brands i would look at what they're doing and feel like oh i should do that in vegan but now i've come to a stage where people copy us so i feel like i have to constantly be one step above the game so i can give them something to copy and i am always you know innovating for myself i'm always thinking outside the box so i actually take inspiration this may sound cliched and you know said too many times but i look at everything around me except food nice. you know i look at my dress i look at maybe a position my cat is like curled up in like a pretzel or something i literally saw her one day looking like a cinnamon roll and i said why aren't we making cinnamon rolls literally <laughs> i posted on instagram and called her a cinnamon i said cinnamon bun or cinnamon roll and she was curled up like that and then i thought why aren't we making cinnamon rolls so i have another brand as well it's a donut brand so we can make cinnamon rolls and donuts and whatever um so she actually inspired me to create a whole new menu line oh, and wow. instead of just doing cinnamon rolls we are now working on savory rolls as well so like vegan cream cheese all of that um so i look at inspiration you know everywhere around me and then i try to implement that in food um so for example christmas uh, maybe whenever this comes out uh, you all will know what our christmas collection is So I wanted to do something different. I just didn't want to do like a Christmas cake and you know rum this. Which everyone does. Yeah, yeah. And we're doing it, but we're doing it differently. So we're doing an edible ornaments collection. Oh, nice. So your um, Christmas baubles and bells and bows, I've actually made them with food, and we I wanted them to be available pan India. So we made them in such a way that you can ship them out across the country, uh, and you can actually ship them globally as well. But I don't think we have the license for that. So um, 
that for me it was like how can i take your favorite christmas shiny things and make them edible so that's where i kind of you know look for inspiration and then through that i innovate in the kitchen like okay how can i make it look glittery use edible glitter or use food coloring or whatever how can i make it um, more crunchy you know what else can we add to it how can we basically think outside the box to make it what what's in my head basically you know uh, which brand do you admire and what have you uh, or how have they inspired you in any way is there any specific brand that you admire doesn't have to be food can be any brand so uh, yes there is uh, there are a few there's one called papa don't preach by shubhika she's a force to be reckoned with she's the most incredible creative thinker of this century honestly the way she has you know taken you should you should check out her page the way she has taken her whimsical ideas and translated them into fashion so shobika runs a brand called paparum preach which is um, indian luxury indian uh, clothing um wedding fashion she has some dresses lots of beautiful jewelry and shoes and it's so futuristic for india it's so you know every single detail every single flower is like hand stitched and whatever and the way she's planned her collections the way she's you know she the way she treats her team the way she's built her team the way she's built her brand it's a global force you know they're available now in paris in london in ludhiana and delhi and all across india uh in la paris hilton wore four of her clothes when paris hilton came to india a few weeks ago she wore four of her outfits um mindy kaling's worn it uh, chrissy teigen's worn it so to go from having a small workshop here to now having a team of almost 350 400 people and running a truly you know ethical business um and having your team look up to you so much as a leader as a creative force uh, building this beautiful community and i know people don't really want to use family to describe their workplace but you've built a family you've built people who'll do anything for each other they'll do anything for the company and with so much passion every team member is so obsessed with the brand and that she inspires me more than anybody that's fantastic I <laughs> so I can already see my team is already like googling her and they're probably on her Insta profile right now, right? Uh, so I think that is uh, an amazing thing to have uh, that level of inspiration, and I think the world is surrounded by people who've done stuff like this, right? And when you find these people, you sometimes I'm, I'm assuming you know her, but even if you don't know her. when you find somebody this way and then you know you see a brand or you see a person and you can learn so much from them like imbibe so much from them like for example now apple i don't know anybody in apple but how they design how they package how they are as an organi- as an organization is fantastic right like what can be imbibed from them so apple is one of the companies that i would really love to imbibe things from already what a few things i've learned we already doing a lot of that at equinox right yeah. because one thing i've seen a, a big factor of success is actually the team culture company culture exactly. right and and you actually touched upon it saying that whole oh, team will do anything for her yes. and you know they'll do anything for the brand because they're so passionate about what they do yeah, and you know how this is a culmination of your culture your people your thoughts it's not the product at the end of the day you can have a shitty product or a great product but if your team doesn't care about selling it or you know making a good product as you grow you're going to face a lot of uh, challenges ahead 
and you're going to face a lot of failures. Yes. How do you think, how do you handle failures? So, um, I look at other founders, I look at other businesses and it's taken me a lot of time to get to this kind of thinking where I'm not obsessed with what's not happening and I just look back at what's happened and I think, okay, out of 10 things, I've achieved eight. So it's okay to not achieve the other two. So I look at other businesses, I look at other founders, um, I look at, you know, uh, serial entrepreneurs. You've done something once and you've either failed or sold it or whatever and you're doing something again. So, I mean, I can do that as well. You know, I don't have to cry about something not working. I just immediately move on to the next thing. I don't want anything to hold me back. I don't want anything to, um, you know, stop my flow. So if it's something I can't fix, if it's something that worrying about it is going to give me white hair, I have white hair 27. So if I'm going to keep getting, you know, stressed about it and then ruining my sleep, my lifestyle, my gut health, my, you know, mood and all of that. And the problem is not getting fixed, then not I'm not going to think about it. Yeah, I'm just not going to think about it. If the worrying is helping, then I'll probably worry. But it usually doesn't. Worrying doesn't normally doesn't. help in yeah. most cases worrying doesn't. Yeah. So for me, failure now is, it excites me to know that I may fail at this. So I have to do everything I can to not fail. And if I fail, it's okay. I just, it took me many years to reach this level of being Absol okay with failure. Absolutely. It, it took me a good decade to get to uh, accepting failure. Uh, and now we've reached a point where we don't accept failure. We almost expect it. The reason okay. is we try so many new things. And at such speed that if we are not failing, that means we are not doing more. We should be doing, doing more exactly. because we should be failing. We yeah. can't do everything right. We can't do like 100 experiments on 100 right. is not that, that possible. Then we should probably be doing 200, right? But getting that work culture in the team was a very big challenge. Because people used to see failure as, oh, I failed. So how am I supposed to go tell my, boss, exactly my, tell my leader I that I failed? Fail. Uh, we started a very simple concept at Equinox. It's called Fail Forward Fast. Failure is a journey, is a part of the journey. Yes. It's not opposite of success. You want to get to success, you have to fail there. You're not going to get there directly. Yeah. So that's something we've inculcated quite well. And failure is actually celebrated. So we every week have an innovation meeting. Innovation meeting, earlier when I started innovation meeting, people used to be like, oh, I did this and this is the good thing that happened. I did this and this really worked. After two, three of these meetings, I started asking them like, what didn't, what didn't work? Like, so then, so instead of 30, 40 hands going up, 100 hands started going up saying, okay, I tried it and I, it didn't work. And we started clapping for those people. Like, oh, you tried it didn't work? I, what's the next thing? Oh, next time I'm going to try this. Yeah. Solution driven is what helps you not keep failing. And many a times, it's the work culture in your company, which will determine whether a person is okay sharing failures or not. And in the past, they've probably not been okay because I didn't set the culture. But now that culture has been said that, hey, you know what, try a new thing. If it fails, no worries. Because when it fails, you will lose money, you will lose time, you will lose effort. The way we've looked at it is if you fail at, if you try 10 new things, even if one succeeds, you make up for the loss of the other nine. And two, as we do more, we experience a lesser degree of failure. Because we are now a little smarter. We now use that learning and so that's been, that's been, Kind of interesting. And you said earlier, we spoke about, uh, you know, either the company shut down or sold. So I've shut down six. Every single one of them has taught me life lessons, has taught me about myself, 
and by the way every single failure many people would blame the team and the environment i think they were my failures because i could not foresee a certain thing right it either wasn't a good product market fit it wasn't a good founder product fit like it's a great idea i wasn't qualified to run that idea and take it to success somebody else can still take it and you know they'll they'll win i was able did you close these companies or did you sell them uh 6 i closed i sold two okay so uh, those were i mean they were actually doing quite well hence they sold uh many people want to sell off dying companies and it's very very difficult to do that because outside i can see why it. would you want to buy yeah so unless you have an asset or something that way it's very difficult to actually sell a dying company and according to me it's not right to sell a dying company because if it's something is dying it's okay but it's not okay if you don't learn something from that failure so that is something that i've inculcated in the entire organization try new things fail at it but if you you either learn or you win or you learn can you share some points or insights on how you inculcated that culture beautiful okay uh one is you talk about failures publicly yourself if you show yourself as this perfect person who is everything right people around you are going to be intimidated intimidated by share about sharing their vulnerabilities about showing i mean because when you share a failure naturally you feel a little down you feel a little less you feel a little water because the environment makes you feel that way once you once the people around you start sharing failures you become more comfortable sharing them this is step 1 step 2 you actually celebrate the failure i would rather a teammate try a new thing and fail than not try it or try it 100% so uh, every quarter i do a one on one with every teammate and it takes up a lot of time i only ask them one question in the last 3 months what have you tried new i already know their performance all the all the charts and all the other like all that already is there like how the team did how the person did all that is there but what is important is what have you done new in the last 3 months and if you haven't then i would go a little deeper in terms of okay is this person you know uh, like capable of doing it to is the environment around him or her stopping of him innovating so if they say no my next question is not like oh you are a bad person and leave hey did you have an idea and did you not execute or did you have an idea did you tell somebody and somebody else kind of put you down did your leader tell you no and sometimes the answer is yes i said oh i told my leader and they said no then did you go to the next leader no i didn't then that's your fault yeah went to the next leader then that person said no okay did you go to the leader about them yes and they said no okay did you come to me no i didn't come to you why didn't you come to me hmm. i will i'll hold that person responsible for not escalating it because we call ourselves a meritocracy okay i mean anyone's idea stands on its own two legs irrespective of designation that's exactly how it should be and this is the same in my company as well so that is i think one of the if you are able to do these two three things the ability to fail forward fast is easier to implement yeah. but i think it all starts literally with you the founder has to start it and then kind of so next time somebody tries something new and bungles actually have a round of applause for them So see how that frown will turn upside down in a second. Right? That's and a really good perspective. I'm definitely going to try this. You know, we had a lot of issues with macarons. Uh, one, they're eggless, uh, and that's like a whole different, different uh, ball game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And second, um, they you know they fluctuate with temperature, time, how much you're actually mixing. I'm sure you know how delicate they are. You know, and if someone's heavy-handed, so if you and I follow the exact same recipe, but you're heavy-handed, you'll probably deflate the meringue more. Even if we do it at the same, same time, time, same pace, same humidity, same everything. Right.
So we were facing a lot of issues uh, about one and a half years ago. And one of my chefs, she was also learning. It was her first job. She was making macarons beautifully. But whenever she would uh, screw up a batch, she wouldn't tell anyone. She would quickly just wrap it in something and throw it. And then we were looking at the reports and saying, we're ordering so much almond flour. But it's not, yeah, the sales are not matching with the, the stock. And then we realized that it's, then I opened the bin once to throw something and I saw like half a dozen, um, three, four colors and ha half a dozen of them um, just dumped in there, broken and stuff. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll address this. And instead of making her feel, you know, first I got really angry. And then I was like, okay, wait, she's hiding from me because she thinks I'm not approachable or maybe she feels she can't uh, come in uh, talk to me about it or talk to anybody else. So we changed the approach completely and I spoke to her about why it happened, what can we do to prevent it. And since then we never had issues with the Max. So I think it was just a tiny shift in um, communication and approach and it made such a big difference and then she started experimenting herself and saying you know I've tried it this way, I've tried it that way and it worked and she got room to try her experiments as well. So that helped a lot. So allowing people to make mistakes freely is one of the fastest ways to innovate, the fastest ways to do new things. And, it, and if you're at the leading edge of the industry where other people are copying you, you need to actually innovate faster because all the, time, yeah. all the time, because they are going to copy you and yeah. take it as a compliment. I, I love being copied. I enjoy it so much. Because who would you copy from? I always take it as a compliment. We start something new and like six months later somebody else yeah, starts. Yeah, you have become thing. the benchmark, that means, you know. My, my sales to get pissed. You're like, oh, they copied. I'm like, boss, that's a, they can't, the only thing they could have done is come to your office and give you a round of applause. Then copying you is exactly that, right? I mean, what else are they going to do? Exactly. It's a and virtual So we actually applause. use that as a fuel to our fire that we need to innovate faster, guys. Because guess what? Six months later, somebody's going to be doing exactly the same thing. So if you're going to market, if you come with something new, you have to go to market faster than other people because other people are going to come. Uh, so there's this uh, new concept in FSCCI where you're supposed to put a nutrition label on products. We, no, I didn't. I, yeah, many people think that I'm responsible for I'm like, I'm not responsible for it. For fresh products, right? For fresh products also. Yeah. By the way, it's only for central license holders or for people who have 10 restaurants or more. But sometimes the bigger brands will ask you to do We supply to uh, cinemas and cafes who have chains. Exactly. So they would they want, want to us do to do it. Correct. So they are waiting for your team to <laughs> get back to me. <laughs> so I can give them the calories and nutrition of every dessert. Correct. And it's like you don't want to know the calories of this dessert. It's a dessert. It's not a health food. No, so the point is whenever news law, new laws like this came. Now this is by the way not applicable not just for uh, prepared food but also for live food that's being prepared on site. Which is very difficult to do. So, yeah, what if they add more oil or they correct. add... So, you can't really control that as much. But what we did is we actually created a product called Nutripedia. That you can submit a recipe and you can download the entire nutrition label within seconds, within minutes. And more than the software. So, we launched the software by the way. It bombed. It tanked very badly. I'm just thinking, oh, how can I get this software? Exactly. But it bombed very badly. Actually, why? Nobody wanted to do it themselves. They were like, here are the recipes, you do what you need to do and send it to me. Yeah. So we turned it into a service. We've now done, what, three, four lakh recipes. And we are the fastest growing one. But guess what? Their competitors have already come up. They're already trying to emulate the same thing. Their database is not as big, but that's fine. Everybody knows Equinox, so there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> Again, so I don't, the reason I don't look at it that way is, 
because we are where we are and because we operate at a certain scale, we are not the cheapest in the industry. And that's by design. We don't want to be the cheapest in the industry. We are extremely affordable, but there's obviously somebody who's only cheaper. There will always be, yeah. But And many times my sales guy would come and say that, oh, we lost the order because the other guys were 30% cheaper, 40% cheaper. I'm like, there is a market for a Maruti, there is a market for a Mercedes, and there's a market for a Maserati, and there's a market for a Maybach. Yeah. We are not a Maybach. We may be a Mercedes, but we are not a Maruti. Right, so it's it's fine, and it's I don't feel bad about it because it's a large market. It's an ever-growing piece. Yes, we have a large pie, large piece of that pie, but we can never own the hundred percent of the pie. And there's nothing to feel bad about. Can we get a bigger piece of the pie? Yes. The way I look at it is, forget the bigger piece of the pie. Let's keep the percentage the same. Can we just grow the pie? We educate. Exactly what I believe in as well. You know, few few days ago I went to a friend's birthday. And there, it was. She's a pastry chef. I'm a pastry chef. Another friend of ours was there, and she's a pastry chef as well. And this other girl was like, "It's so nice, like that you, you all are friends." And I was like, "What? Like, mm-hmm. what does that even mean? Why can't we be friends? Because there's eight billion people. There's one billion here. <laughs> I cannot make cake for everybody. And again, my I may be a Mercedes of the food, whatever pastry thing. Someone else may be the like a Montanese is someone else's audience. You know, um, mine is for vegetarian, vegan, allergen friendly. So I'm not interested in competing with everybody. I want to grow the pie so big that everyone can be part of this industry. We help each other. Some of my friends call me saying, "I need 20 kgs of sugar right now." Here, take it. That's it, you know, and that that excites me more, and that creates not competition but healthy, healthy competition. Healthy you could competition say, is good. and then we encourage each other to do better. So, I guess that's the way you see. So, I I think the way to look at it is uh, rather as an ecosystem rather than a competitor. Like I remember, uh, I was at this event, and there's this another lab owner sitting next to me from Nagpur, and I said, "Hi, Mushroom from Equinox," and he like snubbed me. He did this. I was like, I'm, I'm like, I actually said like, I'm sorry, did I like offend you in some way? He's like, you're my competitor. So? I was like, I'm sorry, who are you again? Like, I don't know who you are. Like, please tell me who you are. So at least I know am I a competitor. It's some lab out of nowhere. And I was like, have I taken business away from your mouth? No. I'm like, why are you? Why, like, yeah. So there's so many, as you correctly said. Pastry uh, chefs do this to each other as well. Really? Yeah, I've not I seen see. this level of ignorance anywhere else. But yeah, this was... This is kind of funny. Like, I, I, nobody has like snubby before, so I was like, first I was a little offended. <laughs> first I was a little offended, but then I'm like, you know what? It, it's fine. Sometimes people just take time to elevate their thoughts, yeah. right? So, uh, what is your vision for O2 Gaia five years from now? Should I say the secret? I don't know. So, if you feel like um, it, I I really this want is a safe to, space. You share. <laughs> I really want to create um, a marketplace for um, not just me but other vegan brands who are uh, premium to luxury. I want um, more people to know that veganism is not just thrifting or eating salads or eating you know stuffed dates. You can buy a luxury bag. You can buy, you know, I think some one of these luxury car brands has now vegan car seats. Vegan leather. Hugo Boss, yeah, vegan uh, leather. Hugo Boss makes shoes now with pineapple leather. So you, I want to have like a one-stop shop where, like a lifestyle store where 
it's all your luxury, vegan, sustainable, eco-friendly, all of that stuff is there. Of course, no other dessert brand does that. <laughs> but other food, you know, like savory food, maybe someone doing chocolates. We don't do chocolates. So someone doing chocolates, someone doing ice creams. But like really, really premium, very like whimsical kind of approach, something different. I don't want veganism to be like a green and brown, boring, leafy, planty thing, you know. It can be glitter, it can be butterflies, it can be hot pink, like our brand. Veganism doesn't have to be like simple. And I think that's what people see when they think of veganism or they see something, a brand that's vegan. They immediately think of it being earthy or natural. But that... I and I think, think like so that. I think they also look at it as a compromise, which it's not. Yes. Right. So I want to show that it's not a compromise. It's not an afterthought. You know, like we were talking earlier about vegan desserts. Why I chose to enter the space is because I can get vegan food anywhere. I can get vegetarian sushi. I can get Thai curry. I can get anything. But dessert? Oh, we don't know how to make it. It's an afterthought. It's like, yeah, just put some dates with stuffed with peanut butter and drizzled with chocolate, you know, or like put one like microwave chocolate cake, which is like made with some premix. So vegan is always an afterthought and a vegan dessert is always an afterthought. And I want it to be, I want non-vegans to say, oh, let's go there. I've heard the desserts are amazing. Or let's buy these shoes, not because it's vegan, but because it looks great. It just happens to be vegan. The vegan is the cherry on top. Uh, no pun intended. So um, I want to create a marketplace for um, for that. You know, I have a ev an event that I'm planning in January. I'll share more details closer to the event. Um, but it's a mini market for vegan women entrepreneurs to come together and showcase their brands. But I don't want food. Everyone does food. I want skincare. I want makeup. I want shoes and bags. I want you to be able to buy you know, some skincare that's vegan, but it's not some something someone's made at home. You know, it's a legit brand. Um, and I want to give them a platform to kind of um, showcase their, you know, incredible products. Um, and then, I, of course, in five years, I want to do that on a much larger scale and not in India. I want Otokai to go global. Uh, in the next three years, I want to open our first, our second outlet. Hopefully, it'll be second by then. Second outlet uh, somewhere abroad, maybe London. That's home to me so maybe London um, and in the next two years I want to open an outlet here in Bombay fantastic I really I really liked your concept of having a store where it's not I mean everything vegan but luxury yeah. luxury I think but a big part that you'll have to play over there is also educating people but also letting them know that, hey, you're not compromising anything. This is just a different lifestyle. Here are the adv advantages of it. Because anytime somebody does something new, 99.9% .9 of the world is going to scoff at it because they don't understand it. Yeah. The minute they start understanding it, then they start appreciating it so much more because now they know that what this is capable of doing or what this is fully. And once they get that, because people fear unknown. People always will, like, nobody wants change. Yeah. But once they experience that They love that being change, comfortable. Right. But once you make them experience, so I think earlier also you mentioned experiential store. So I really love the, the, the fact that an experiential that. dessert bar. So tell me a productivity hack that you use that makes you more productive. I'm, I'm not productive. <laughs> I, like, I'm not productive. Uh, keep my phones outside my bedroom. Okay. Uh, if I'm doing anything in my room, um, I one of the best things I do is calendarize my day. Um, even if I'm like 
you know, if I'm getting ready, I'll write on my calendar, getting ready, one hour. So, like, I don't want 10 minutes. One hour. Yeah, one. It's like 30 seconds. Well, okay. <laughs> like, I don't think <laughs> you wear the same the thing every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I try to calendarize everything. And that includes showering, makeup, choosing the clothes, everything. Oh, wow. Okay. So that would be an interesting calendar right? to look at. <laughs> like, so, I, I try to, like, if I'm traveling, like, if I'm coming, like, today I was coming here, I wrote, like, 45 minutes travel uh, just to make up for, like, traffic and all that. Plus one or two hours here. So in that 45 minutes also my team knows not to schedule something in that hour. Because if I write three to four interview, then 2.30 there'll be another thing. But I'm in the car. I can't take that interview. So I calendarize everything. And then if I feel like, oh, what do I do? I don't know what to do. If I, or if I'm feeling lost, I just look at my calendar. Three to four, call XYZ. I write 10 people I need to call. Four to five, I'll write, make whatever, poster, do this, do that. So... I kind of make, plan my day in advance and I try to plan the whole week. Whatever I know, I put it on the calendar. So if I know two months from now, I have to, you know, do something, I'll put it on the calendar now. So just so that I don't have to wake up and think, okay, what, what all I need to do today? I have it listed. My team knows it. So they know not to schedule anything or to overlap anything. And because my team also schedules things on my calendar, like interviews and um, like job interviews like when we're hiring and stuff like that, or meetings, they are also aware that from, if she's going to Bandra, that means three to four, she'll be traveling. So four o'clock ke baad only I can schedule, you know, stuff like that. So I think uh, having no to-do list, but having that to-do list in your calendar. With right? timings attached to everything. The What you were saying earlier, the deadlines. Right. So no, that's something I started doing about a year ago. And it completely enhanced my productivity because like my entire week is planned sometimes in advance. Sometimes like I know there are some reviews that I do or some meetings that I have in a month or two months. They, they come on the calendar. Quickly lets you also see. Uh, so we started color coding those. So one is I just calendar everything in one color. Uh, then I was reading up somewhere. They said, hey, you know what? You should color code important tasks. So when you zoom out and you look at it. You know how kinda, much? You know, see like overall how are you spending time. So I, then I started color coding everything and I started putting red for customer interaction. And if I ever finished a week and I saw that my entire week had no red, I'm like in the entire week I've done work but I've not spoken to customers. So I actually tell my teams guys I need more red in my calendar because many a times my calls with customers are scheduled by the team. So I have to rely on somebody else again, talk yeah. to these clients, can you please arrange the call. So then now that the instruction goes to my team guys that this week I need 10 calls or 5 calls, right? I need... I literally like the, the wording, I need more red in my calendar, guys, come on, let's, let's get that in. Because it's so important to talk to customers because the feedback you get allows you to innovate. Right? You have a good yes. pulse on how is your team delivering? How, are, how is the happiness quotient of customers? Yes. Because you could be delivering on time, you're pricing it, everything's right, but customers are... Not that happy. They're like, okay, I mean, nothing like... We use a term like, wow the customer, not just... Here's what you want. You know, yeah, not the bare minimum. You want the bare minimum. To do like, what more. can you go, what can you do that the customer goes, wow? Two, what can you do where the customer will refer you just left, right and center? Because today we have a fantastic marketing team. We have an amazing sales team, ever-growing sales team. But our biggest lead source is the references. Like we have our PPCs, we have all, we have all the campaigns running, everything is running. But finally, our biggest customers come from referrals. Because, because that, I, that... So did we. <laughs> Who, who referred you? I'm just curious. Um, her name is Manju. She used okay. to work uh, at Protein Bake Shop. 
ंग um yes kind of yes so there is one uh, person in my parents company he's a financial advisor and uh, he manages the fund and what not so i have no financial background like i've not studied any any of this to be honest i'm not studied business i'm not studied finance nor have i studied pastry and i'm doing all of those so he is a is an incredible uh, mentor and guide you know for anything from hiring decisions to founder coaching to just how to be a better leader he has a big team he's you know works consults with other people so he really helps me kind of um, streamline my thoughts and either validates or you know negates some of my um, way of thinking sometimes i don't know if what i'm doing is right or wrong he interviews uh, a new ca or any big hires um so he's he's been a great help uh, my mom 100% from an hr and a marketing perspective she does that for the family business so people management is a skill that is you're always learning there's no way to ever say okay i've learned it all you know you may say that for something but definitely not for this so she the way she handles people she's had people working with her for when she was a child she had her father's um one of her father's colleagues she is now part of my parents company so she's been there for like you know before i was born so like 30 40 years she's been around like i want to build a lasting business like that so there's so much to learn from her and how she you know manages people how her team is so uh, loyal to her and they grow with her you know it's not like you know it's not like you i am your boss or something like that she creates this culture where there's celebration together there's failure together they do everything together and um, she really inculcates this incredible uh, feeling in all of them that the company is not hers but it's everybody's and uh, that i really really enjoy learning from her i spend two three days in the office with her a couple of hours here and there and Yeah, in the food industry, uh, not so many people as such, um, because uh, we one I'm just now become I've just now become a part of the industry, so I'm still like meeting people and learning. But there are a lot of chefs and a lot of restaurant owners, business owners who are friendly. You know, you can go to them for advice. Um, that culture has really changed. You know, compared to like ten, fifteen years ago, where it was like a cutthroat. thing and now it's like if i call up one of my friends who's like an executive chef at some restaurant and i say listen this is happening what do i do what would you do in a scenario like this they'll offer some advice so that way i've got a good support system of uh, people in the industry now and i've taken 2 years to build this network but uh, not one specific person but there are few people who all have different things to offer absolutely so uh, the most obvious question in my mind right now is why didn't you join your family business It's too boring. Oh my God, there's no creativity. It's too boring. What, what space is that? 
they are into property development uh, construction and they um yeah i think that's basically it and um Oh my yeah. god no and it's a it's a very like it's a man's world you know they i don't want to be part of that mm-hmm. my parents are very like my dad is 100% like do not be part of this you know do not even even now i have people saying like if i go to meet vendors if i go for exhibits i'm i have a budget of 10 lakhs i'm ready to buy these machines um but they won't even look at you and they won't even see you as a worthy customer you know and when i was building my kitchen my budget was uh, you know 40 50 lakhs and it's a huge kitchen and um, i mean yeah you know. they lost out on a lot of money and then i went with my colleague who so we we went from being an all women team to now having um, men as part of the team as well when we had to start night shift and we had to start uh, when we moved to a commercial area you know it's not safe for many of my girls to do early morning shift opening closing alone things like that so now i've just got my best friend johan he's my ceo now uh, so it's great working uh, together with someone you've known for so long you know it can be hit or miss but it's totally a hit here so he, when we went to this exhibition together this bakery exhibition people were like so 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 and then he's like she is the boss not me so <laughs> immediately they're like okay I sh-, you know they they realize their mistake or they don't care so having a guy now i've realized how many times i've been dissed in the past um and my family business is just like that my mom is completely behind the scenes she handles like the team the marketing um all of that the finance all of that she my dad is more the going to the sites and stuff yeah so i don't think she goes as often as him so i asked them many years ago should i like do you want me to be part of it he's like you can do marketing <laughs> like, so you just say you don't want me to be part of it so and you have to deal with a lot of men you know a lot of um, and that's not a problem but it's they have that kind of thinking you know where they don't take you seriously so many times in meetings my mom has a charitable trust and a temple in uh, kalba devi it's a huge one 115 years old oh wow um she uh, so they they had some bmc people coming to like check and i don't know whatever they were doing and he spent and my dad and mom went together but my dad's not involved at all in this he just went for moral support that man just spoke to her spoke to him for like a whole hour and a half and he couldn't care less and he was like boss to ye hai madam ye hai mujhe kyu bol rahe ho and he was like oh sorry he did not even look in my mom's direction so you know we are used to this now so it's i don't want to be part of an industry where i have to again put so much effort into like you know being seen as uh, somebody important in the industry or in the company i already have to do that here <laughs> i don't want to do it again so like when we started equinox we were almost 90% women and uh, over time we've now i think come to 60 40 and i remember about 5 years ago uh, i i went to my hr given uh, and one of her managers was standing there she's looking like she's, she's, i mean she was looking at me i was behind her actually telling the, the recruitment team can we start hiring some boys around <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious so uh, now even on our uh, executive team our, our senior leadership also it's almost 50 50 50% men 50% women and it's not because we wanted it that way yeah. uh, at one point in time it was actually 75% women and 50 or uh, yeah. 25% men and now it's kind of you know gotten uh, it'll, and it'll uh, keep uh, fluctuating, fluctuating i guess uh, i think the beauty is it shouldn't matter it's the work that has to be done 
that gender should not play a role 100%. in what, how high you rise and so on and so forth, right? And so my last question to you is, where do you see yourself as a person five years from now? Not a brand, as a person. Like what, what would you like That's to strengthen? That's a very loaded question. What aspects would you like to strengthen? And what are some of the strengths that you would want to magnify? So current strengths, magnified. So, future strengths, as I call them. I don't call them weaknesses. I call them future strengths. So future strengths and... So um, I'm quite an empathetic person. You know, uh, things matter to me a lot. And I feel bad about a lot of things very easily. Um, I want to reduce the feeling bad part. But I want to magnify the empathetic part. So if you feel bad about things, you don't work, think critically, you're not able to solve the problem. So I would like to, you know, not weaponize that empathy, but I would like to, what is the word? To, to amplify. amplify. Yes, I would like to actually uh, do something productive with that empathy. And um, uh, in terms of, again, future strengths, I think uh, becoming a better leader, becoming a better, um, I am a people's person, but... I'm still learning how to be a better leader. You know, it's a, it's very new to me as having 20 people. It's I never thought of all of these things when I started uh, this career. I was just like, okay, I'll, I want to make desserts. That That's all I was thinking about. <laughs> now I'm suddenly a CA. Suddenly I'm, you know, HR. Suddenly I'm a chef. Suddenly I'm doing housekeeping. So I'm kind of filling in all these roles and kind of guiding people on how to do it. Um, but I'm now realizing that every single person has their background, their history, their, you have to like, you know, work and communicate with them, keeping their emotions in mind, their background in mind. So I just want to be better at that. So I can be the best leader for my team and help them grow uh, into better people as well and allow them to be the best version of themselves. And that can only happen if I do my best. Uh, so that's what I'm uh, really excited to go on that journey to you know be the best version so when you started i can bet you didn't think that at one point i'll have 20 people now i don't know whether you can think or no but very soon you will have 200 people oh yeah i'm ready for that i want to be ready for that nice so uh, the interview i did before uh, uh, one of the things that we were discussing is they're like zero to one is something that the founder has to do and you know be there firsthand get everything sorted but then what skill is required to go from 1 to 10 and then 10 to 100? And these are very different skills and you have to wear different hats. Like for example, right now when you're saying 0 to 20 people, I would count that as a 0 to 1 moment. Yes. Now is a point where you need to go from that 1 to 10, right? And there's going to be such a shift in the role that you're going to start playing. You're going to be lesser in the kitchen. Even though you may have most fun in the kitchen, you're actually going to be lesser in the kitchen. You're going to be I more am, out there. I'm realizing that. Now. And sometimes you will enjoy it and sometimes you won't. But you have to figure out how to enjoy the process because you need to do it. Nobody else can be the face of your company. That's exactly what I'm learning. And learn to enjoy the process. And uh, the the even more fun part comes is when you go from the 200 to 1000 or when you go from That's the 10 the to 100. The amount of hats you have to wear. Yeah. The amount of delegation you need to do you're going to be forced to be a fantastic leader. Others, you won't actually reach that point. Yeah. And you're not going to reach 200 people yeah, if you're not a good leader. Exactly. And I, I think I know I know that for a fact. You know, that's why I want to focus on me becoming a better leader so the company is ready to scale, to grow. If you want to open something abroad, it can't be with me being at the stage I'm at now, my team being at the stage at um, 
they're at now. You know, we have to be like 10x better. Um, and they're a great, fantastic team. But I have learned, I mean, there's no buts. <laughs> I have learned that um, some, this is something I have, I've uh, taken about two years to kind of accept and I'm very happily accepting it. Uh, there's no ego in, in business at all for me. Um, I, I take feedback really well. So that's something I want to keep, you know, growing on. But one thing I've learned is you can't be good at everything. So if you're not good at something, hire. Hire a chef. It, it doesn't mean I'm not a good enough chef. Because I'm anyway going to have to teach them everything. It just means that there are other things that I need to also focus on. So if I delegate that, then I can focus on the growth part. But if I'm still stuck in the kitchen all the time, we're never going to go from 20 to even 21, you know. So hiring excellent talent and um, not micromanaging and helicopter momming them. Uh, I'm good at that. I, I hate micromanaging. I want people to develop the best uh, of their abilities and I want them to develop their skill and you know go free do whatever you want but do it properly that's why feedback sessions and all are super important which now I'm realizing you know I was so I was doing everything so we had no time to have like proper feedback sessions I didn't have time to actually sit and talk to them I don't talk to my customers anymore so after you actually said this I realized that Shit, I don't even talk to my customers. Can I say shit? <laughs> That's okay. That's I don't even talk to my customers anymore. I have a customer service team and someone who handles social media where there's no... Did did, yeah, there's no connection with me and the customer anymore. I don't want to just be like a face of the brand. I actually want every customer to say that, oh, I have spoken to her. She's this, she's that. She's taken my order. Huge difference. Huge difference. And I'll tell you where it will make an even bigger difference. One is referrals go up when you know the face behind the brand two people are a lot more forgiving of mistakes because they know the face behind the brand they know the founder they know this thing uh, they're a lot more forgiving right so that's something i've learned and i try and meet as many customers as i can because there's nothing better than that and i, I don't know uh, about many others but i innovate the best when i'm with customers while i'm with them because I'll because that's what they want i mean they'll have problems that we can't solve. Two, they'll have problems that we don't even know of. So there's a, a one of my favorite questions is what else is troubling you? Like forget food, forget yeah. the testing and FSSI, all of this. What else is troubling you? And a lot of my new companies have been around what okay. else was troubling them or what else is doing. Because many a times people will pigeonhole you into only this little thing. Like for example, it'll, they're only talking about vegan. They're not yeah. talking about anything else. But now for, you mentioned that you are training other vegan chefs across the country. Not vegan chefs, anybody. Any chef, right? uh, but again, after your training, they'll probably want to go into the vegan space or not really? No, they want to include one or two options on their menu or they want to be vegan chefs or they want to cook for their partner who's vegan. It could be anything. Have you thought of creating products that they can use? I am working on an online school, but not products. Products, I, I want to do cookbook is the most obvious extension. Yeah, but I would rather do like an online uh, class, uh, an online school with pre-recorded classes, like a Udemy or something, where you can pay any time and join. Yeah, it's passive income for me, and it's you know great education and information for them. Uh, but I do, uh, I am working on some of my semi-finished, semi-processed products, which they can use, like things like white chocolate. So we make our own vegan white chocolate, we make our own uh, milk chocolate and we use it. It's only for our application. Mm -hmm. We don't sell it. But I would love to now start selling it. We're going to actually contact you for that. <laughs> We're going to start selling it soon. 
so that you tomorrow if you open a vegan cafe or you open a dairy free or you want to make something dairy free for your customers you don't have to first think oh where can i get chocolate from now how do i do it's ready just add coconut milk done and i will send it with like a recipe guide or something you know so we are working on a few things like that so this will allow you to expand your brand where your physical presence is not required it's product lines that are because see, otherwise for desserts it's you can't really ship off desserts to far away places because of temperature controls and so on and so forth right but if it's a packaged product white chocolate you can actually ship it anywhere, anywhere in the, the country world. anywhere in the world help you to uh, give people a chance to experience your product experience your brand because once they experience one aspect of your brand then they would love to try other aspects of your brand. It can be the chocolate that will lead to the online class, or it could be the online class that will lead to a chocolate, right? Which leads to products, which leads to franchises, which leads to your stores being opening up, which leads to other vegan people contacting with their products and so on and so forth. So or consulting or anything. It opens up so many doors, right? Uh, thank you so much for sharing all of these, some of your feature secret plans. I know earlier you were like, should I share it secretly? <laughs> like, it's a secret, I? I'm the first one to know, which I was, I was, uh, I felt very honored that you shared that with me. And I'm so happy that you're sharing it here as well. Uh, what I personally believe in is it's not just an idea um, that leads to success. It's the execution of that idea. 100%. There could be 100 people in the country today that may have the same idea yeah. with only one or two and one. I hope. Uh, and if there is a two will succeed. Other people won't because one, most of them won't execute on it. Yeah. Or two, even if they execute, they may not be able to execute to the best of their effort. Yeah, and yeah. the vision could be different for everybody. You know, they may want the same model, but like green, grassy, vegan, and mine is like pink and glitter everywhere. Correct. You know, and everyone would cater to a different segment. Yeah. So it's yeah. never, according Community to me, it's never, yeah, it's never the uh, idea. It's always the execution. It's always who are you catering to. And if you understand that market well, you can cater to them really well. Yeah. Wishing you all the best and all the best for your brand and I would love to see Otugaya in London, in Dubai, in LA, San Francisco and that would and I and now that I know that you're a client I also know that somewhere we've played a tiny little role in your success and so thank you for it. Thank you so much for having me this was fantastic. Thank you so much. So guys, uh, I hope you've learned something uh, more about veganism. I hope you've been inspired by her to take action on your passions. Because what I've learned from her, apart from uh, you know some of the nuances of veganism, like pineapple leather, I didn't know that was a thing. So that I definitely learned, and cactus leather. So that's a couple of new things I learned about uh, veganism from her. But apart from that, I think her enthusiasm and her ability to try new things is absolutely aspirational. And I'm hoping that you absorb something from this talk. If you've stayed on for this long, you better have absorbed something. Otherwise, you've just wasted a good 45 minutes or one hour of your life, right? Uh, and uh, do follow her on Instagram and do follow uh, our channel on Instagram and other uh, YouTube, LinkedIn and other places as well. Hope that you guys break some new ceilings. I'll see you in the next one.